Well, last week I uh, had a few shoulder updates for you. I don't really have any good stories this week, either fun or serious stories about my shoulder, but I will say I'm about six weeks out from the surgery almost now, and so um, on Tuesday I re-see the physician, and I feel a little bit like it's going to be Groundhog Day, because, in a sense, uh, not the repeating of something, but uh, I get to find out if Tuesday I get to stop wearing the sling, or I have to wait four more weeks, so I don't know if I'm going to see my shadow or not or something. As we turn our attention to God's word, I'll say in a moment, but not yet, I'm going to read our scripture passage. Um, But it begins with the words, now when they heard this, now when they heard this, which clues us in that we're picking up a story that's already begun, right? Now when they heard this, oh, what's this? And we are, we're picking up a story and continuing that same story this morning. So in the book of Acts, Jesus has risen from the dead on the third day. He's ministered with his disciples for about 40 days. He ascended to heaven, to the throne of the universe. The disciples prayed and studied the scriptures for 10 days, gathered together in unity, and Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit. And those disciples went out to preach to the nations who were gathered there in Jerusalem. And they're hearing the words of the gospel, the mighty deeds of God in their own language. And they ask the question, what does this mean? And Peter begins a sermon that we've taken in several parts. Now we come to the last part of his sermon and their response. Follow along with me from, as I read from Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 37. I'll read through verse 41. If you're new to the Bible, the big numbers are the chapters, so chapter 2, and the verses are the smaller numbers, so verse 37, and then I'll read through verse 41. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter, oh excuse me, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness And continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is God's word. Thanks be to God for it. invite you to pray with me. And then we'll spend time studying this passage together. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we sang just moments ago, that we need you to soften our hearts. The language of this passage speaks of being cut to the heart. Lord, I pray this morning that you would do that same thing that you did to them, to us. Not the cut to the heart of an attacker, a thief, a murderer, 
but the heart surgery of a physician who's there to heal. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we don't often on Sunday mornings during the sermon bring up many cultural events. Um, in the perpetual culture of outrage, I hope you view that the way we intend you to view it, which is as a gift. Um, but I do want to bring up one story from a, about two months ago. There was a murder trial that took place and came into public light because the brother of the man who was murdered in the trial and in the sentencing asked to leave the witness stand and come down and give a hug to the one who had murdered his brother. And that caught national attention. Specifically, he was hoping to forgive the person who murdered his brother. Now that story, as it unfolded, was more complex as people looked at it from different angles and with different backgrounds. And I think it was probably as complex as people were saying it was. There was a broader conversation of race and law enforcement and court systems and America's past and present and what it meant to be a minority and pressured at times and to forgive quickly those in the majority culture. All of that is worthy of conversation. I just wanted to highlight the forgiveness part of how profound it would have been to forgive a murderer. Forgiveness is harder, isn't it? The, the greater the degree of evil that's been perpetrated. And one of the things I said last week as we were looking at this passage is that as Peter is preaching to this group of men, he tells them that they have crucified the Lord. And that was, in a sense, the greatest act of evil that's ever been done. If Jesus was the innocent sufferer par excellence, the God-man who had done nothing wrong, then his crucifixion was, in fact, the greatest evil ever committed, and yet what's being offered to them here is forgiveness. I don't miss that. But one of the things that's going to unfold here as we look at this passage that is to receive the Lord's forgiveness is going to require of us or involve in us a change of directions. It always does. Last week, I used the metaphor of signs. So you're on a road trip, you're riding in the passenger seat, and one of your responsibilities besides handing out snacks uh, to those in the kids in the back seat in our van is helping to navigate. So you're looking at your phone, GPS, maybe a map, and you're reading the signs, right? Okay, I can't see that one yet. And then as it gets closer, you say, okay, not that exit, but the next. You're reading signs. Now, there's a significant sign that many of you have probably encountered as you leave Harrisburg. Uh, it depends which way you're leaving, but you go through the toll booth to get on the turnpike, and there's a sign, two signs actually. What are they? Philly and Pittsburgh. And you know, over, at least I always feel, this is a really important five seconds. <laughs> right? This is a toll road, right? You, 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 and, right? It's a very important you need to see that sign. And what Peter has done 
For, for us, it's just two and a half minutes to read his sermon, although I'll say later, it's at, we know it was actually longer than that. But he's given these Jewish people God's sign of what he was doing in the Messiah. He doesn't want it to be ambiguous for them. So he calls forth two signs, now not Philly and Pittsburgh, but the two signs of the Old Testament witness of who the Messiah was going to be and then the testimony of the eyewitness apostles of what they saw. And these two witnesses are in harmony, Peter says. How will they respond? when they see these signs. Look with me again at verse 37. We're just gonna go back through the passage a little more slowly. Verse 37 says this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Note their question has changed. So if you're holding a Bible, your phone, you can scroll back up. But if you look back into verse 12, their question at first of the audience was, what does this mean? The disciples are preaching about the good news of Jesus Christ. They're hearing it in their own languages. And they're intrigued because they're gathered there from the nation. And they ask, what does this mean? And Peter stands up and he preaches to them. And now that they know what it means, that God, in verse 36, has made Jesus, demonstrated him, displayed him to this audience and to us, both Lord and Christ, what it, they ask a different question. What should we do? What should we do? If we're complicit in this, if we have done wrong, what should we now do? And note the language of cut to the heart. I just wonder if in your hearts we could just be praying at this moment, Lord, it would be good for me if you would show me the places I'm out of step with you. Or would you just pray that in your heart now as we go through the rest of this sermon? Lord, show me more places in my heart that are hard. Years ago, I, I met a friend named Barry. This was before I was a pastor. I was doing engineering at the time. I was a recent graduate and didn't know anything about anything. My specific trade, I was gonna learn fire protection. I was gonna design fire protection systems for a construction company. And they sent me to this two-week training course but didn't buy me a car or to rent. <laughs> so I was kinda, I, I was there at, Prov they call it Providence, Rhode Island. It was actually Warwick, which is the small little thing right next to the airport. So in the room next to me, airplanes were landing and taking off, it felt. And I couldn't go anywhere. So I made friends with Barry and his company paid for him to have a car. Um, and so, so being a guy from the Midwest, one of the things Barry and I, he was also from the Midwest, he said, let's, let's go on a road trip and see as many states as we can. It's a little harder when you're in the Midwest. You can do that in New England. Um, so we did. And, and, and at dinner that night, he told me a story about the fall. And he said, Barry told me, he said, when he was a young man, uh, had his license, and he was driving through neighborhoods with his buddy. And, and in the fall, like I guess you do here in Pennsylvania, like we did in my neighborhood, someone from my small group came to my yard and helped me rake. <laughs> um, but we got our leaves to the curb. I didn't know what that meant, but he explained it to me. And now I know what it means, and the vacuum car thing comes by. But Barry said he and his buddy are in the car, and they're racing through the neighborhood, blowing through the leaf piles. 
just laughing it up, making a huge mess. They round a corner. They see the mother of all leaf piles, and he and his buddy yell, let's go, let's go. They slam on the gas, and as they get to this leaf pile, at the house, he ca- it catches his eye that the storm door is opening, and a woman is walking out. And it's enough time for him to pause, lift his foot off the gas pedal, and he sees a child in the leaf pile stand up. He moves to the side, continues on by, turns the corner, puts it in park, shuts off the car, and begins to weep. Because he knows what could have just happened. That's what it means to be cut to the heart. To be going one direction with your life and have everything about everything changed in a moment. That's what happened to them. And it would be good for us if that would happen to us. Look with me again at verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A few things to note here in this verse. First, that language of repent and be baptized. It's been familiar language if you've been tracking through the gospel accounts. When John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who was going to come and get God's people ready, he got them ready with the announcement of repentance and baptism. As we read the Gospels, Mark's Gospel opens up with Jesus saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Luke's Gospel, Volume 1 to what is Volume 2, the book of Acts, Luke tells the story in chapter 13 of these people who came to Jesus after a great tragedy and injustice even. These people were slaughtered wrongly and they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what gives? What do, you, what do you have to say about that? And he sort of just goes, we'll talk about that later. Let's talk about you. Unless you likewise repent, you will also perish. So strong words. But what Peter says here is in the tradition of the announcement of the good news, it begins with the announcement of the need to turn. That's what repentance means. It means to change direction. The course of your life is going one direction and things shift. You think about that moment on the turnpike, right? Philly, Pittsburgh, or Pittsburgh, Philly, depends which way you're leaving the city. And you feel in that moment, this is a really important 10 seconds. And most of you, I think, as I've brought this story up or I've driven the turnpike with you, some of you, I think many of you, have stories of not choosing correctly. Um... And you know that that's at least, it depends where you're at, it's a 20-minute, if not a 45-minute commitment because it's a turn bike and you, there's not exits every five minutes. But what happens if you've missed it? The only thing you can do is to turn around when there's an exit. That's what repentance is. And here, the repentance that's described, real repentance, is not sometimes the repentance we see in children, right? <laughs> Tell your brother you're sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Give him a hug. And it's like, right? Adults can do the same thing, by the way. <laughs> it just looks a little different. But the repentance here is real. 
It's sincere. It's genuine. It's not forced. It's emanating. It's animated from within. One of the movies our family enjoys quite a bit is The Greatest Showman. I don't love everything about that movie. Um, Time won't allow me to talk about this is me. (laughs) Um, We'll save that for another day. But one of the things I do love is the song at the end, um, From Now On. The story follows the life, I don't know how accurate it is, but the life of P.T. Barnum, the, the greatest showman in his circus. And he gets caught up in all the ambitions in life that many of us get caught up in. And he sings a song of repentance at the end of the movie. I just want to read you the first verse in the chorus. This is what, so played by Hugh Jackman. This is what he sings. And it begins just with a tremble in his voice. The way I would imagine Barry would have sung this song if he had sang as he pulled his car over. I saw the sun begin to dim and felt the winter wind blow cold. A man learns who he is or who is there for him when the glitter fades and the walls won't hold. Because from that rubble, what remains can only be what's true. If all was lost, there's more I gained because it led me back to you. And still in a tremble in his voice, he says, from now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the lights. From now on, What's waited till tomorrow starts tonight. Tonight, let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart from now on, from now on. And he goes on to sing about the dreams he chased, always needing more. The repentance here in this passage begins with the repentance to God. But then it as that works itself out in relationships, as it did for P.T. Barnum and the men and women in this passage, it gets worked out in life. I just ask the question, what, what, what is God saying to you this morning? What areas of your life do you feel going this direction? And I know the Lord's best for me is another direction. Let me read a little more of the passage. I actually want to read 38 again, but let's read 38, 39, and 40. And I want to get into a little bit of the details, kind of, you know, when you, you, you have a picture on your phone and you can take your thumbs and press in a little bit. Let's, let's read these verses and, and then thumb our way into a few of the details. Again, 38 goes like this, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he, that's Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. There's a line with many other words. I don't think his sermon lasted two and a half minutes. That's all it would take to read it. I think Luke is implying for us this, this went on for a little bit. We don't know how long. Surely he preached a 35-minute sermon, right? That's, the, that's all biblical sermons or some, or I don't know. Some people's 25, some people's 55. I don't know how long he preached, but he preached more than what we have here. 
That language of save yourself, some, the NAS, another translation, I think gets it more literally, maybe the way I would want to say it, be saved. It's this passive, be saved out from. This divine passive, it's called, that God is the actor. He is saving you out of this generation from yourselves and from this world. One thing to note, there's no mention of trust and belief, is there? Right? We hear repent and be baptized, but there's no mention of believe and trust. What, what's about that? Right? Normal Christian preaching is this call to repentance and then a call to believe and trust. So why is it not mentioned here? Just a few comments about that. Verse 39 mentions the word promise. What do you do with a promise? You believe it or you disbelieve it. You trust it or you don't trust it. You embrace it from the heart in faith or you don't. So in a sense, belief and trust that's implied there. And then if you look at verse 40, it says they receive the word. What's, what's that language for? To receive the word is to believe the word, to trust the word. And then if you look down into verse 44, which will be preached next week, it calls them believers, all who believed. And then if we were to go to chapter 3, verse 19, we'd see that in another moment where there's a preaching event, an evangelistic sermon of their sin and God's salvation, they're just told to repent. So what, what, what gives? I, I think, I just want to make this one comment now and it will circle back to it here and there again as we go through the book of Acts, is that there's these cluster of words that often come together as a response to the gospel. And, and what I want to do is just encourage you not to think too much about each one of them individually, but to stand back from the book of Acts as a whole and see that when the gospel is preached and people respond, whether one or the other it seems to be missing, they all are in view whether they're said explicitly or not. Because what's implied in repentance is turn of direction, Right? But what does it mean to put your faith in Christ? What does that imply? To put my faith in Christ implies my faith was where? Elsewhere. P.T. Barnum, fame, money, lights, action. In that case, an affair. To turn from that and put faith in Christ. Faith in Christ implies a repentance, even when it's not said. That's just a detail I thought would be helpful to mention. Then there's this other sentence here, this promise is for you, and what does it say next? And your children, and all who are far off. He promises for you and your children. Now, quick word on that. We're in the details, I know. Presbyterian friends and Baptist friends look at this differently. I know at our church, we have people from different church backgrounds, some of you from a Presbyterian background, you would have heard in this passage that, yeah, this promise is for you and your children. Repent and be baptized. So we, we baptize households. So when one parent or both parents come to faith, you would baptize the whole family as a sign that that family is going to be raised in the covenant community and embrace the promise of forgiveness from the heart. Just like in the Old Testament, there was circumcision, and that was a family thing, right? That, that was for children, or male children, that would then be brought up in the covenant community. We always knew someday they would have to embrace that from the heart, but what we're saying is God loves them already. And our Baptist friends say, yes, this promise is for you and your children. 
when they're old enough to believe and repent themselves. So I, I just wanted to surface, that's a, I don't think this passage solves this. People come at it from different church traditions. We here at our church are predominantly believers, Baptists. Although if you come from a different church background, we're glad that you're here. I think the thing that we're really, if we were focused on that, we would miss that this promise is for you and your children. It's to change families with the gospel, to change communities. What does Peter say next after that? This promise is for you and your children. Go ahead and just look down. You want to put your finger on it. It would be helpful. It's just my words, but see it in the text of Scripture. This promise is for you and for all who are far off. I just want to ask the question, consciously or subconsciously, as Peter's preaching that, do you think all means all to Peter at that point? So Peter's preaching, this promise is for you and for all who are far off, he says. Do you think for Peter at this moment, consciously or not, aware of it or not, that to him all meant all. He began his explanation. What does this mean? He stands up to preach and answer that question, verse 14, by saying, men of Judea. Verse 22, men of Israel. Verse 29, brothers. And his climax of his sermon, he says, let all the house of Israel know. Why am I making a deal of this? When he says all who are far off, I think what Peter has in mind at this point in the book of Acts and his own process of coming to know the Lord and be in relationship with him, I think what he means is what's been called the diaspora Jews. It means the dispersed Jews far flung among all the nations. So at different points in the Old Testament, foreign nations came into Israel and carried some of the Israelites or many of the Israelites off into that, this or that country. And at various points in that story, some of them, many of them, were allowed to return and many of them did to Israel, but others went to other places, which is why at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 when we have Pentecost, it says that the nations are gathered there because these Jewish people have come back to Jerusalem for a festival. Now why does this matter? Because Peter, the preacher, needs forgiveness too. What do I mean? Here at the highlight reel of Peter's sermon, he preaches better than he knows. Because it's only going to be a few chapters, chapter 10 and chapter 11, where Peter's confronted with someone, when all means all, and it's not a good Jewish person, it's a Gentile, that's really hard for Peter. In fact, in the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul had to confront Peter and say, all means all. And you're drawing back from certain people because they don't look like you and you don't think they need the gospel like you do or get the gospel just like you do. And he's drawn back. And I just bring that up because I think there's a repentance that's appropriate for the beginning of the Christian life. 
And there's a repentance that's appropriate 10 days into the Christian life. And there's a repentance that's appropriate 10 years into the Christian life. If you're on a straight section of highway and your tires are in good alignment, that still doesn't mean you just take your hands off the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. You know, I, you actually keep your hands on the steering wheel and you make course corrections as necessary. Sometimes insignificant, but significant over the long haul if they're not made. And other times drastic. That's what is going to happen later in Peter's life. But we're not there yet. I'm just telling you now. In fact, when Paul writes Ephesians, the letter to this church in Ephesus, he uses this language of near and far. And when he does it, he explicitly means that God has come in the person of Jesus Christ to rescue those who are near the Jewish people and those who are far the Gentile people. And God has reconciled the near and the far to himself in one body, the body of Jesus Christ, the one body of the church. And that is glorious. And Peter here preaches better than he knows. And even in his highlight reel, he will look back knowing, in that moment I still had room to grow, just like all of us. Read with me verse 41. Verse 41, last verse in our passage says this. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is great, isn't it? This is awesome. Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved, the church is blowing up and people and it's great and it's exciting. It's also really messy. Sure, what what do you do with 3,000 people? I mean, it'd be great if 3,000 people came here next week. I don't know what we'd do. I I guess we'd just do four services until if you want to stay, I'll do another service. I, I don't know. But it was all very public too. That would have caused friction. There was baptism. That's a public demonstration that God has done something in your life. You say, Jesus has changed me. That's public. That's messy. And then we read, they were added. We're going to see in next week's sermon as it talks about this classic passage in the book of Acts. They were added to the church. That's public. It's not just them and a po- Peter, Peter's greatest hits podcast. But they're added to the church. That's messy. You know, one pastor, I heard him say this and it stuck with me. Your faith may be very personal and it should be. But it's never a private thing. See, because if you're in that car going down the turnpike and you realize you're headed towards Pittsburgh and you need to be headed towards Philly because the Eagles are playing the Patriots later and you need to get there and it's not just you in the car but you've got passengers what does that mean for you to find the next exit which might be a ways away and to be late to the football game what does that mean it it's awkward it means swallowing something as the driver It means acknowledging publicly, I messed up. That's what had to, all of these people had to go home and tell what happened in Jerusalem. 
Some of you are new to Christianity, and that's hard for you. I just want to encourage you. Um, It was the best thing in the world for them to make these changes, but that doesn't mean it was easy. We see that all throughout the book of the Acts. Beginning of last week's sermon, I told a little bit about my own story, and it was both wonderful and hard at the same time. One year of college, as I said last week, I, I, everything seemed to fell apart. I fall apart. I was building my life on school, a relationship with a girlfriend, and athletic success. And they all started to fall apart. And I was looking for this sign from God, looking for this experience with God where maybe I'll go to this thing and God will change me, just kind of tweak things, and then I'll actually not get God, but I'll get school athletics and this relationship with the girlfriend will be fixed. And so I go to a Christian concert. I'm like, well, that was good, but that didn't really fix things. I still couldn't really change. I didn't really change. I was like, well, I'll go to this Bible study. I grew up in the church. That'll be good for me. And maybe that'll give me the, you know, the experience with God, then I can change. And it was good, but, but that was still hard. I couldn't seem to turn the corner. I kept falling back into old patterns. And then they announced there was this Christian sports camp. I was like, well, I'll go to that, because this has sort of worked. A Christian sports camp uh, will really help. So I was there in Colorado with uh, 100 other um, college athletes, and we were hearing about Christianity. And I'll just say, I was undone. I went there thinking, um, I just need to tweak my life. And what I say sometimes is, it was a whole tear the engine apart and rebuild. I didn't see that coming. And I showed up to that sports camp in terrible spiritual shape. And God met me there. I came home and, and they had given us what are called gospel tracts. They're just, you know, Christian propaganda, right? In the best sense. Um, I mean that in a good way. And, and I got one, and we took it home, because we were supposed to give it to other people, because everybody at this Christian sports camp is Christians. I remember taking it, going, like, reading it, and, uh, like, and I remember going to like, my girlfriend at the time, and this is out of the blue for her, I'm sure. I'm like, God loves us, has a wonderful plan for our life. We're sinners and need forgiveness. That forgiveness comes from the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and he changes our life and invites us into relationship with him. I was like, I don't really know what all that that means, but I believe it, and, and I'd like to follow Jesus. And that was the end of that relationship, unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, I guess in some ways. And everything about everything changed, and it was hard. But there has never been so much peace in my life as I felt in those early days. I think about Barry, my friend in that car racing through the leaf piles. And what it, at some point, he had to start the car again, put it in drive, and come home. And when he came home, there was joy. There was gratitude. There was thanksgiving. What began with weeping ends in joy. The people Peter's preaching to were going to hell. And now they won't. And those baptisms, oh, there must have been so much joy and celebration and singing. One of the reasons I love that song so much in The Greatest Showman is that as the song begins to build, his song of repentance becomes this mighty dance. 
He sings the chorus again. From now on, these lies will not, or these eyes will not be blinded by the light. From now on, let this promise in my heart be, be like an anthem. And this rousing chorus begins to chime in. If you know the movie, we will come back home. We will come back home, home again. Just over and over again with as much joy and passion as they can muster. And Hugh Jackman, or P.T. Barnum as his character, has to come home and apologize to his wife and his kids and this repentance, if you will, that begins with God, needs to trickle into the lives of his family. It needs to change. Just as a closing verse, and I'll pray and invite the worship team back up, look with me again at verse 39. Don't miss this little detail. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. A few sermons ago, Peter was preaching and he reflected on the book of Joel, where this Old Testament book where Joel says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that verse actually ends the way verse 39 ends, which is, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And oh, by the way, the Lord is calling you. He's wooing you. He's drawing you. He's working behind the scenes in wonderful ways to draw you to what? Himself. Repentance is a coming home to God. The gospel is that we're saved from God, by God, to God, from God in his wrath by Jesus in his work of redemption on the cross to God and forgiveness and joy. And that invitation is to you this morning for the first time or the thousandth time and to anyone who is far off. I invite you to pray with me as the worship team comes back up. Heavenly Father, There is a goodness to having a very sober look in the mirror. And seeing that we are not what we ought to be. But in the gospel, you not only take our sins, but you give us Jesus' good works as though we had been the ones who done, did them. So that when you see us, you see your children and you love us. I pray this morning that as we think deeply about our sin, we would also think more deeply about your goodness and your forgiveness. It's in Christ's name we pray.